Here's the thing though. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Saliha and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kuringai people who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people past, present and future and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. Mitch, I noticed you didn't do a funky little hello today. There was a little bit of an extended O oh. on that one. I thought I was going to get like a howdy or a like howdy. a... howdy. Well, I was, I've already done the howdy. You should have said salam. It's the Ramadan salam. episode. Too late now. Oh, God. You've lost your we opportunity. We can re-record it, can't no. we? No. Okay. <laughs> salam. <laughs> anyway, how are you, Mitch? I'm good. I, you know exactly how I am. We, we, <laughs> we haven't been disconnected at all in the past uh, week or so. I know. It's so fake when I come on this podcast. I'm like, how's your week been? As if I don't know exactly how your week's been. We have had a wonderful trip. We went up to Oberon in the Blue Mountains and went mushroom picking. I and know. And collected some was, yummy mushrooms. It was so nice. It was actually like kind of surreal. Actually. Yeah, it it's, was. It was kind of crazy. So like fantasy-like. Yeah, because we were like driving to the state forest with a bunch of friends. And as we're like driving up this dirt path. One of our friends just starts shouting and we like pull over and the mushrooms have literally come out like onto the road. I honestly believed that we would just like go into this forest and then we would have to like walk around for hours and like forage under rocks and things. And I was like really kind of prepping myself to have to like not pee for eight hours. Like it was, I was genuinely stressed about how I was going to like be in a forest for eight hours because I refused to pee in a bush. This was like an issue for me. Literally, we just like drive up, not even at the like heart of the forest yet and there's mushrooms on the road like just on the road it was wild yeah i was so surprised i thought we'd have to be like hunter gatherers searching for two hours to get like two measly little mushrooms (laughs) that we can (laughs) uh we can ration up when we get back to the airbnb we like i mean at first they weren't the edible kind they were like the toadstool variety yeah the fly agaric yeah they're like bright red with white spots on them and they literally the size of dinner plates Mm. The size of dinner plates. I was showing my mum when I got back and she was like, that is actually so fantastical. You look like you're in some like enchanted forest. That's the perfect way to describe it. Enchanted forest. Yeah. It was, and it it was also just so strange because like, you know, I mean, we're used to like bushwalking and things like that. You can always hear like cicadas and Mm. bugs and there's like a little lizard scurrying around and it's so full of life. But the forest would like, the um flyer garrick so there was literally one every like foot or maybe like three of them every foot i should say they like you're, you're crushing them underfoot there's so many and the forest is just dead silent just silent just so still not even the tiniest breeze it's kind of dark and there's just these like millions of like dinner plate sized bright red mushrooms i just Felt like I'd stepped through a portal. Mm. I felt like I was in Alice in Wonderland or something. It, it just didn't feel exciting. real. It just did not feel real. It was so incredibly, very beautiful and also like kind of unnerving in a weird way. This is why it's like, it's big, like cursed enchanted forest vibes. It was just something so unnerving about I the silence. I felt very welcomed by the forest. I I was a little bit nervous, but it was still good. And then we kind of went further in and then we found the edible mushrooms. Yeah, other than the fly garrick, the traditionally fantastical fairy very toadstooly toadstool fairy. mushrooms yeah. uh we picked the saffron milk caps and the slippery jack mushrooms the saffron milk caps being these very large or they can be large 
orange mushrooms, which were the yummiest. Yeah, they were yummy. They, they were, were the good. yummy ones. The slippery jack, I feel like maybe I didn't prepare it right, but wasn't my cup of tea. It was it was like fine, but it was like kind of bland and also like just such a pain to prepare because like with the saffron milk cup, you just wash it, slice it up and cook it. But like with the slippery jack, you have to peel it and mm. like completely and it's just like kind of an ordeal. I don't know. But the whole trip was like very lovely. We stayed in some random country cottage and like we were with our friends who had assignments and stuff to do while Mitch and I would just like be sitting outside painting, reading a book having a tea. I was taking little photos of the flowers and I was like, wow, like this is the cottage core lifestyle that I deserve. Exactly. Like, you know what I'm going to do? I, when I retire one day, I don't know if retirement will even be a concept when I'm an old woman under capitalism, but like, I'm just going to move to some random cottage, like near a mushroom forest. And I'm just going to live there like painting and making myself little mushroom luxes and just like living my best life. Mm. I want to live in a mushroom house. When I retire. <laughs> it kind of like, in a way, just really reminds me that like humans are just not meant for this capitalist lifestyle. Like I'm out here and I'm in our little forest, just like picking mushrooms for a living. And I'm just like, wow, like this is where I belong. And this is where we all belong. Like I was just thinking, I was like, why do I have to go back to my shitty dystopian capitalist life where I have to like work for a living when I could just live off the land in a little mushroom forest? Like I just... I don't know, man. Capitalism sucks. I, this this has radicalized me well, even more. It was funny because I remember we picked a whole box of mushrooms and I was looking at this thinking like, wow, like how much do you think this is worth? Like how much do you think they are per kilo? We have to have at least like $50 worth of mushrooms. <laughs> and he's like, bro, like why are you thinking in these monetary terms? Like why, <laughs> why, like, why are you commodifying them in your head? And I'm like, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, if, any, if anyone to be doing that, um, I'm still a fool. A slave to the capitalist ideology. It's really hard to like just remove yourself from that. I mean, definitely I was thinking that every time we saw something cool, my first thing is like, I can't wait to go back and talk to everybody about it and talk about it on the podcast and tell all you guys and show you guys photos. And I'm like, wow, I really cannot disconnect from my life, can I? Yeah. <laughs> and just, I don't know, even with work, like still checking my emails and stuff. I was checking like my personal email and just kind of being on top of things because I had some freelance projects I was working on. And I was like, man, like... I just want to disconnect in every sense of the word. I just want to float away in this forest and just, it's fine. It's good. I feel like I just got radicalized into a bit of a hippie after this trip, but I, it was very yeah, I was going to say pick two mushrooms. <laughs> like, wow, return to nature. <laughs> I know. I sound like those white girls who go on trips to India and find themselves, yeah. but <laughs> like- We need to regress. Fuck modernity. We just need to all <laughs> live in little leaf tents or whatever. I don't know. Anyways. Don't know. It was, well, the point of our- tangent was that it was very nice and very lovely yeah. to escape i just did not read the news the entire time we were there which is pretty radical for me there you go and that was really great came back feeling really refreshed it honestly wasn't long enough but that's always the way i'm going to move on from this lovely lovely conversation into darker waters i'm very sorry mitch oh no. about to pop our little bubble just looking at the news this morning like when i woke up there's been another shooting of a black man in America by the police. And I want to talk about it just briefly because something that I don't I haven't really seen covered so far. Look, it happened pretty recently, but obviously again his the video the body cam footage has already gone viral. People there's already a hashtag. Obviously things like this move fast and it's really fucking tragic and infuriating and I'm, I'm, I imagine so exhausting for the black community. Like they haven't even indicted one fucking cop. Derek Chauvin's still under trial and there's just like literally like not that far away from where George Floyd was murdered, another man. But 
something that I wish we were talking about more is that the cop that killed Dante Wright was actually a woman. And I feel like this is worth talking about a little bit because we often view the face of racism to be like white men specifically and quite like kind of scary, like masculine looking white men who already have a history of violence. Like Derek Chauvin, kind of the poster child for like that image. He already had like 17 infractions and like heaps of disciplinary orders and lots of complaints against him and stuff. And then he inevitably killed a black man. And it's kind of like, see, this is the face of a racist. And it's like, actually, that's not quite true because a lot of people are racist and it's often the people that we don't really view of as being violent that are and I want to talk about this woman because I just feel like this is kind of peak white feminism like we see a lot of people being like not all cops and stuff like that um and then on top of that there's all this we need more women in policing we need more black people in policing we need more xyz minority in policing to even it up but this is like a woman you know who like we see as an oppressed or marginalized person actively enacting violence and murdering a black man and I don't think you can deny the race and gender politics of white women terrorizing black men because it is a historical issue I mean we talked about this before with Amy Cooper who you know called the cops and faked that a black man was attacking her to get him arrested and potentially murdered Um, and there is a history of white women you know weaponizing their victim status and using their racial power dynamics and society and weaponizing it in order to hurt black men to maintain their status as white women right and i just think this situation with the the fact that no one is talking about this cop being a woman is kind of an example of that because like white women absolutely can and do weaponize their femininity to terrorize black men this is you know not really a debatable fact and I feel like the system is protecting her by not mentioning that she's a woman. The system is protecting white women everywhere by not mentioning the gender politics that are actually relevant to this discussion. Um, so I guess I just wanted to point it out right now that like everybody should maybe talk about that a little bit more because we need to have more discussions on how it's not just white men. It's not just white men that are racist and hurting people. It's white women too. And y'all are just as responsible as white men are. And it's not just, you know, white men and white women, but it's police officers. No matter like what minority yeah. or, or, or what oppressions you have, if you become a police officer, you become the personification of a greater system. When we say ACAB, yeah, it's not just like a juvenile phrase to be like, we hate all these individuals. It's, it's we're, we're referring to something structural. It's, it's systemic. So police officers don't have really any agency because they're just personifications of a system that is designed to do exactly what we're seeing. Like this, everything's working as it should. Exactly. They're not bad apples. Like it is literally their job to murder black people in order to maintain their power structure based on fear and, you know, like divide and conquer politics. Like this is very much working how it should. And it doesn't matter how many minorities you put into cops. They will still be bad cops because all cops are bad cops because all cops fucking terrorize people just by being cops. So Let's let's leave out identity politics when it comes to oh, but they're a woman cop or they're you know they're an Asian cop or whatever. Like cops are fucking you know bad for us, bad for society, actually dangerous, and we don't need them. Any of them, even the woman ones. Yeah, exactly. Even and any identity. Yeah. This isn't an aberration. It's systemic. It's structural. Let's think of it in those terms. Anyway. Let's move on to today's topic. Today we're going to be talking about Ramadan. A few of you asked us actually to talk about it because I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in our in the end of our last podcast episode that we would likely be doing shorter episodes 
during Ramadan because we'll be fasting and trying to talk for an hour and a half when you haven't had water all day kind of sucks. So we're trying to keep it short, easy, simple. And I actually had quite a few of you ask me questions about like what Ramadan is and like the rules around it and like just, you know, like genuine curiosity. So I thought we would do a bit of an explainer episode and just like talk about what Ramadan is and our experiences of it and like just, you know, just have a conversation about Ramadan and we can answer some of your questions. I've got them like integrated into what we're going to talk about today. So hopefully you shouldn't have any more questions. So I am going to get into what Ramadan is and I'll start describing it and then yeah, we'll, we'll go from there. Cool. So Ramadan is a very holy month in the Islamic lunar calendar. Uh, we have like 12 months just like everybody else and like this is like one of the most holy months. Uh, it's a very anticipated time of the year for a lot of Muslims, very exciting for us. But basically it's characterized by fasting, which is like one of the main kind of pillars of Islam. It's like one of the basic tenets that like you would do as a Muslim person, where basically you fast from, we would typically say like you fast from sunrise to sunset. Like technically it's not quite sunrise, it's just before sunrise. Like technically you start fasting at the break of dawn, which means like when it's all dark outside at 4 a.m. and then there's that tiny little white light on the horizon just before the sun rises that's when you stop eating okay so we fast from then the breaking of the dawn to sunset um where we don't eat we don't drink typically you're not smoking um and you're also supposed to refrain from things like you know gossiping and like having sex and like just kind of worldly things it's supposed to be about like building spirituality and patience and self-control and yes not even water. I feel, <gasps> this is this is definitely like a meme. If you like scroll down like a Muslim Twitter or Muslim TikToks, like the biggest Ramadan meme is, yes, not even water. <laughs> because I find that a lot of non-Muslims really struggle to understand how we don't drink water for like the whole day. And I'm just like, guys, like I'm not fasting 24 hours a day for 30 days of the month. Like just sunrise to sunset. You, you can do it. And, like, we're typically not playing sports or, like, running around or doing a lot of physical activity. Like, you're kind of being conservative with your energy. It's all right. Look, that was me, though. Yeah. I was there. What about water? <laughs> I feel like somewhere in my life I got – I was thinking of Ramadan the same as, like, the 40-hour famine that you do <laughs> during high school. Because you're allowed to eat, like, rice and, and drink water, I think, in the 40-hour famine. Yeah, you're, meant, you're only allowed staples, and I, I think. I think I just sort of mixed up the two. And it's like, you're allowed to drink water, though. That's some white shit. No, it's like, what about rice? And like, no, nothing. Rice. Nothing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's, yeah, we get it a lot. There's a lot of, like, well-intentioned white people slash non-Muslims, because it's really not even just white people, it's all non-Muslims, that are just like, oh, like, are you going to be okay? Like, isn't that dangerous? And I'm like, honey, we've been doing this for, like, 2,000 years, so (laughs) if it was dangerous, we would have all died off by now. Like, we're fine. Obviously, there are people who are exempt from fasting, um, which I want to bring up because that's some that's a question I get actually quite a lot about. Like, what about pregnant mothers? What about breastfeeding mothers? What about people that have to take medication? And I'm like, guys, like this this month is not designed to kill you. Like, I feel people are so like it's not torture. It's not torture. Like, if you can't fast, you don't fast. It's fine. Like, no one's gonna put you in jail because you didn't fast. You know what I mean? Like. It's God understands, guys. It's fine. You're not meant to suffer. Like, yes, obviously, obviously there are exemptions. I feel, 
I honestly get like a little bit offended sometimes. I don't mind the questions, but I feel like a lot of people try and have like a gotcha moment with each other. It's like, oh, well, well, what about someone who's diabetic? And I'm just like, well, yeah. Like, that- do you hate disabled people? <laughs> like that, like yeah, that's the like, angle yeah, is coming do you, from. Do you want to make like people who can't do this suffer? And I'm like, you know, oh, gotcha. Like I told you, this is the religion of violence. And it's yeah. like, oh my God, like- the whole point of this month is to be more spiritual, to learn patience and to give charity, right? It's about like helping each other and also just kind of being more in tune with yourself and like kind of trying to ditch a lot of your worldly attachments. There are so many ways you can do that. Fasting is obviously the one that we we do, but if people can't fast for like many reasons, then they just like give charity or they like feed a homeless person or, you know, there are ways to like still do like still maintain the spirit of ramadan without fasting because obviously people can't fast they're like they're they're, like obviously um exempted like very clearly exempted people from fasting uh people who are menstruating people who are breastfeeding or pregnant people who are sick and people who are traveling long distances as well but i feel like it goes without saying that like if you have diabetes i mean first of all that probably counts as like like a medical reason for not fasting Mm. it would be covered under the whole like sick leave situation (laughs) like it's fine same with like things like eating disorders i have had people ask me like well what about people that have eating disorders and um, they shouldn't be like fasting because it could just trigger like a relapse and i'm like you're right so they wouldn't be fasting (laughs) like it's not that hard of a concept to grasp we don't want to kill you like if you can't do it then you won't be doing it if it's dangerous for you to fast then you wouldn't be fasting for the majority of us who do fast it's fine it's a bit hard i'm a bit tired and probably quite cranky but like i'm fine and the moment i get like some food in me at sunset i'm feeling great like it's not a problem so i just i do want to put that out there because i'm sure every muslim person who's listening to this has had like a white person trying to have a gotcha moment with them to like prove that Ramadan is actually dangerous. And it's just like, guys, it's not, it's really not. If it was dangerous for you, you wouldn't be fasting. It's fine. It's not a burden. It's not a burden. It's not a chore. I'm not suffering. I'm not like, oh fuck, here comes a month where I have to start. We're literally counting down the days to Ramadan. It is like the most exciting and most fun time of the year for me because there is like so many exciting things about it. I feel like maybe I'll start talking about what my average day in Ramadan looks like because I want people to understand like that it's not the torture that people like think it is. It starts off with I wake up early in the morning. Uh, I have like my morning meal which is called sehri or suhoor which is like essentially the big meal you eat before you start fasting. So I guess to get you through the day. Um, so I'll have breakfast and my whole family like we're all fasting together. Uh, so all of us are awake at home. We're all chatting, having breakfast. My cats are usually up and meowing for food as well. It's usually kind of hard in the first couple of days. Like we're sleepy, just like zombies. But like the excitement of what's to come is what keeps you going because uh, family is really important to me during Ramadan and to a lot of Muslims, most Muslims in Ramadan. Um, And so like at the end of the day, because like, you know, I might be working or whatever during the day. If I'm at home, I'm just chilling, uh, vibing, (laughs) Uh, being spiritual and whatnot. And then at sunset, we like break up fast. We usually spend quite a bit of time cooking up like a pretty awesome meal together because like a big part of like, this is more cultural than religious, I should say, but a big part of like for us is like Muslims culturally is like having a big feast at the end of the day where you invite like all your family and you all break your fast together and you spend time together. Um, so you're cooking and everything starting from like 3 p.m. Because at the moment, I think we're fasting from maybe about 5 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. or Something, uh, something along those lines. It's kind of, it's almost a 12-hour fast, I'm pretty sure, or roughly around that time. Probably start cooking at 3.30. <laughs> they quite, take quite a while. And then by 5.30, we've got the table laid out. 
Um, a lot of Muslims will typically break their fast on a date because that's the traditional way to do it. Dates and a glass of water and then we go ham. <laughs> well, I guess not ham. That's, that's, that's haram. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we have a good time. Um, and it's just like for, my, for me and my family, it's traditional for us to break the first fast together. I used to do that at my grandma's house because we all kind of grew up in that house. So typically every year, we the first fast, the first if it's called an iftar, the meal that you break your fast on at sunset. So the first iftar of the month, we would spend at my grandma's house, me, my aunties, my all my cousins, everybody who I don't get to see that often, and it's like quite, um, it's, there's a lot of festivities. This year I'll be doing that with um, one of my great aunts because my grandma passed away. But yeah, it is it is kind of all about family and love and spending time together, and it's exciting because and this is the most lit part of Ramadan for me is uh, most Muslim businesses will shift their hours for Ramadan, which means a lot of them will actually open at 5 to 6 or 7 p.m. and then stay open till 3 or 4 a.m. Like, we kind of become a little bit nocturnal because we just fucking go out at night and, like, have coffees at, like, 2 a.m. and dessert. And, like, I mean, Muslim food is so good. It's so good, man. (laughs) And, like, I mean, we live in Sydney, uh, and there's a suburb called Lakemba that has a majority Muslim population. And usually every year they do the Ramadan night markets where every night of Ramadan, starting from about 7 p.m., the streets are lined with food stalls um, and like shops are open and literally it's packed and people are going and spending the night out, hanging out with their family, eating at markets. There's like a big mosque in Lakemba as well. Um, I got to say, this is a very specific Sydney experience. Um, I'm sure it's different for people in other cities. But for me, like this is what Ramadan is about because it's like you spend your day being spiritual, having a good time, and then at night you spend it with family, having wholesome times, eating samosas and drinking chai and generally just it being really fun. In the last 10 days of Ramadan, they're considered the most holy. So people usually spend those kind of nights uh, at the mosque or at home kind of praying and like you know, working on their spirituality and stuff like that. And it's, it honestly becomes quite nocturnal. Like my brothers used to go to the mosque till like one or two in the morning, like quite late. I'd be asleep before they got home. And then after 29 or 30 days, depending on the moon for me, actually I'm going to go on a quick tangent and just talk about moon sighting versus the calendar because quite a few people were confused uh, yesterday, which was Monday, when they were saying Ramadan Mubarak to me. And I was like, oh, I'm actually saying Ramadan tomorrow on Tuesday. Uh, and people were like, oh, like, I thought it was tonight. Like, isn't it tonight? And th- so there's actually two different ways that people choose to fast, like choose to decide when Ramadan starts, essentially. Um, I personally go by the moon sighting. So uh, the Islamic calendar goes by the lunar calendar. It goes by the moon. So an Islamic day starts at 6 p.m., not at 6 a.m. And Ramadan for us starts at the new moon. So we like have a moon sighting where like after this about 30 minutes after the sun sets people will like look for the moon the new moon in the sky and if it's not visible then it's ramadan the next like the day after that if it is visible then ramadan starts now uh other people go by an astronomical calendar that's run by i think saudi arabia um where basically they have predetermined when the new moon should be do like maths and stuff and then (laughs) maths and stuff i'm so vague i'm sorry i don't actually know how they calculate these things but just like science. There's just it's you know astronomy. I don't know whatever. I didn't do maths. I'm a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so they have like a predetermined date where they're like, this is when the new moon is supposed to be, um, and that date often doesn't coincide with when the moon is 
like visually sighted. So that's why you will know some Muslims are fasting on Tuesday. Some people are fasting on Wednesday. It just depends on whether or not they go by like visually sighting the moon or if they go by the predetermined calendar. There's actually been some contention lately with the calendar. I will put a link um, in the description of this episode to just kind of do a bit more of an in-depth explainer. Um, But I want to just point out that this is not like typically a point of contention between Muslims. Like half of my friends celebrate with the calendar, half of them do it by the moon. And it's never really been like a, oh, you do it by the moon. Oh, you do it by the calendar. It's not like that. We're just like, okay, cool. I'm doing mine tomorrow. Like, and that's usually, that's it. So why do you go by the moon, the moon sighting? Is it because of your family has already been determined or is it, is there any like reason? Uh, well, definitely. I mean, initially in my family, because when you just like grow up with a Muslim family and they do things a certain way, you just kind of do it with them as well. Mm. But as I grow older, I mean, I have some misgivings about the Saudi Arabian government and the way they calculate the moon sighting because how they would have done it pre-technology um, islamically is you would like literally see the moon. Um, and if, you, if the moon, like if it was like cloudy and it was impossible to view the moon in your country, you would just go by the moon sighting at the closest Muslim nation, right? Uh, which is not really a thing now that the, it's globally changed. I don't know who Australia's like closest Muslim nation is. Um, so that's kind of hard. Like I know that a lot of like Western Muslims like in the UK and here and stuff will go by like either Saudi Arabian or Moroccan moon sightings. But I've always stayed by the Australian moon sighting. So there is um, like a group that like does the moon sightings and they like do the updates and it goes by city. Um, and it will end in Perth. And if nobody has seen the moon in Australia and then Perth hasn't seen either, then we will decide that we're not going to start Ramadan tonight. For me, that just seems like more authentic. It's it's a bit more romantic in a way with a capital R. Mm. Like I feel like close to the earth and like spiritual and I, I want to live by the moon, you know. It seems right. It just feels right. Ever since you picked those mushrooms, <laughs> it's been you've been so different. <laughs> no, but it's just, I don't know. It always felt right to me, especially because, I mean, you all know I'm anti-establishment and that goes for the Muslim governments too. I'm anti-government. I don't support governments i don't trust them i don't know where they get the information from and i'm just like, <laughs> i'm a little skeptic i get my info from god <laughs> literally i don't know i just i mean the saudi arabian government is obviously quite corrupt that's pretty not controversial to say we all kind of know this even muslim nations are very skeptical of the saudi arabian government even saudi arabians are skeptical of the saudi arabian government and i just kind of don't want to follow them in anything <laughs> like i don't trust them to be an authority on like my life as a muslim when they have done so many fucked up things and are clearly not my idea of islam but yeah anyway coming back to ramadan and how it works we cite the moon it starts blah blah blah. i've talked to you my day and then ramadan is either 29 or 30 days again depending on the moon um, people can either go by the calendar or the moon sign the same way that Ramadan starts. It also ends that way. So I'll on the 29th night, my family and I will go moon sighting. It's actually, moon sighting is like a really nice thing to do as a family. When I was like a little kid, like my grandpa used to take me and my siblings and cousins out to the park and there's like a big hill. So we'd all stand on the hill because it's a high point. And then it'd be like, look for the moon. Can you see the moon? It's just like kind of a cute, wholesome thing that we used to do together. Because like chances are we probably wouldn't see the moon. But if somebody in like, Perth story, it'd be fine because it's like Australia specific. And I mean, some five-year-old kid on a slide is probably not going to see the moon. But sometimes we did, which was always exciting um, when it was really visible. But we typically go by like the moon sighting people because they have telescopes and shit, which I don't have. (laughs) Maybe I should get a telescope. Um, But anyway, I digress. What I was saying was that Eid is also determined the same way. Uh, You can go by the calendar or you can go the moon sighting, either 29 or 30 days, depending 
And then Ramadan is over. And it's Eid now. And Eid is like so much fun. Eid is a day of celebrations. Sometimes can last several days. Uh, growing up, I typically did Eid over two days just because there was no way to get everything done in one day. So I usually had a couple of days off. Um, some people take like the week off work. You know, it just depends on how much time you have. Um, but it's all about like getting dressed up and visiting family and friends and eating a fuck ton of food like so much food so much delicious wonderful food and gift giving so um it's kind of different to christmas in the way that i feel like this is something i actually learned while doing christmas with mish's family because up until i did Christ- uh, christmas with mish's family i'd never experienced christmas and on e we don't at least in my family we don't really give gifts to everybody we give gifts to kids i'm starting to outgrow gifts i still get some from like my immediate aunties and my grandpa but not from everybody anymore. It's typically something exciting for children. So we go all out and we get all the kids younger than like me gifts. But I don't like, I've never given an Eid gift to my mum. Like that's weird for us. It's something that older people do for younger people. I was going to say, to be honest, my family's Christmas is like a materialistic consumerist <laughs> sort of affair. Yeah. Well, I was so surprised when like I did Christmas with Mitch's family and I had to get adult people gifts. I was like, I gotta give like your auntie and your mom a gift. What? I don't even give my mom Eid gifts. I don't give my grandpa Eid gifts. They give me Eid gifts. And then I'll give, you know, the kids younger than me Eid. Like I buy my younger siblings Eid presents, but they don't have to buy me Eid presents because children don't give adults Eid presents typically. Like that's, at least, I don't know what it's like in every single culture because it could be different in like other like cultures within Islam. But like at least in my family and like Pakistani culture, as far as I'm aware, um, you're not really giving adults Eid gifts. It's very much something that's fun for the kids. Like we usually start our Eid quite early in the morning. So we get all dolled up. I am full Bollywood glam, like nothing y'all have ever seen before. Like wedding, no, Eid. <laughs> big, like big blingy, bright colored clothes. You look your best, um, which is my favorite part, to be honest. I just love looking like a million bucks. <laughs> I always like buy my Eid, my Eid dress in advance and I'm like so ready. And then uh, typically we go to the mosque quite early in the morning for an Eid prayer. Not always though. I mean, COVID with COVID last year, we obviously didn't. And these mosques get busy, like so packed. So sometimes we don't if we just feel like it's going to be a bit chaotic, especially when like my little sister was a baby. It was a bit harder to go. So we didn't back then and we just do our Eid prayer at home. And also it's early in the morning. It's like 7 a.m. or 7.30 in the morning. So sometimes we're just like, man, with all the makeup I need to put on today, there's no way I'm going to make it to the 7 a.m. prayer. So I'll do it at home. Um, I often see a lot of my family at the mosque, to be honest, because all of them are there. And there's a mosque that I used to go to, like a really big one in Sydney, that did like full-on Eid gifts. So like you do your Eid prayer and then they're just handing out like scooters and like like Game Boys and I don't just to like kids, like all over the place. My siblings would oh, go damn. and come back with like random board games and lolly bags and cakes. And I don't know what people would, I don't even know where this stuff comes from. Um, and then for me specifically on Eid, so some people will all congregate at one house and spend the day there with their family. That's what I used to do growing up. And now that I'm older, um, we actually house hop. Like, like this is specific to my house. I don't know if other people do this. But we like, because I have a really big extended family in Sydney. I have like, a, most of my family is here. So I'm visiting one person and I'm there for an hour and a half. I have breakfast with them. And then I visit another person. I'm there for an hour and a half. And I have like food with them. And then I I've, like, sometimes I'm going up to like four, five, six houses in one day, visiting everybody, exchanging gifts, eating food. And then like, I go to their house and then they come with me to the next house. You know, it's kind of, it's like really chaotic, but it's really fun. Um, it is 
yeah, so much fun. Not even because of the gifts. Mostly I just get a shit ton of chocolate. Like it's not even about the gifts. It's just about like seeing people and eating amazing food and just like being there's just so much joy. There's so much joy on Eve. Um, it's also traditionally a time where people like ask each other for forgiveness. Um, you know, you if, if I've ever upset somebody or if maybe if I've ever bitched about them or whatever, like you're just like, hey, if I've ever done anything, like please forgive me. Like I don't want bad blood between us. And it's usually really nice in that way. A lot of people make up on Eid because it's just like cultural. But yeah, that's kind of my summary. I just, I do really want to reiterate how much joy Ramadan and Eid brings people. Obviously not every single person. I imagine it can be quite a struggle for people that do it alone or that have, you know, that are quite triggered by it because of eating disorders um, or traumatic experiences. I really understand that Ramadan is hard, especially for a lot of reverts. Um, it can be quite an isolating experience. I know this, I have a family friend who does like revert dinners every like Ramadan. But yeah, I just, I guess I just want to reiterate, like, it's not a chore. We're not struggling. I don't need your pity. I don't need you to be like, oh my God, are you going to be okay? Like, I'm going to be fine, sis. Like, please, I don't want that. It makes me feel like you think that I am hurting myself or that I'm doing something bad. And I don't want you to stigmatize like a religious practice that we've been doing for literally centuries that is important to us and actually has like a ton of health benefits as well. But I'm going to end this actually with asking Mitch what his experiences of Ramadan and Eidbo like. Because he did Ramadan for the first time with me and my family last year although it was during covid so he got like the discount version of ramadan for sure it was like not as good as it should have been but well yeah in 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 two ways as well it wasn't as fun because the night markets weren't on and some of the more collective elements uh weren't on because of covid which is very fair but it was also actually like quite easy i didn't really struggle at all maybe it was just one or two days where i got a bit hungry before iftar uh, which is when you break your fast. I don't know if you said that. Yes, Mitch with the lingo. There you go. Look at me. Look <laughs> at me. Um, and I never really left the house because it was during lockdown and all my uni courses were online. And I think at the time I made work may have been closed. So yeah, there was a time where like stores weren't open because it was like the height of lockdown. I really had it easy. Um, but I mean, even then I it was it was great. I had a really good time. I felt like I, I learned about myself and I feel like I can often struggle to have self-control on these types of things <laughs> in life. So it, it was, it gave me more confidence in myself as well. Yeah. But I'm excited and nervous for the upcoming Ramadan. Would it be your first one out of lockdown? Yeah, exactly. And I'll be leaving the house and having to organize fasting and doing actual things instead of just like sitting at home and not really consuming yeah. any energy. Trying to get home in time to eat and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm a bit nervous, but I'm very excited. What I also found really interesting last year, and uh, so I can't help myself but bring in some some media theory or just think about media <laughs> in terms of this, but it's how like technological sort of Muslim uh, tradition has become in a way. Like everyone has yeah. like, these apps and alarms. And yeah. it's, it's interesting how it's really become intertwined with like these networked or, or portable devices. Yeah, I remember Mitch's mind being like totally blown last year because I have an app called Muslim Pro and it just like tells me what time to pray and what time to fast and stuff. Like it's got the... I guess it's like got the astronomical data that tells me like when it's sunrise because like all the prayer times are, um, I guess, calculated based on like where the sun is in the horizon. So it's got all of that in. And so that would tell me when it was time to break my fast. And Mitch was just like, damn, like you got, you got an app that like tells you this shit. And I was like, yeah, are you kidding me? Have you seen Muslim communities and how all these kids become engineers and doctors? We got the technology. It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I just found it so fascinating. I feel like there's a whole uh, thesis there 
I'm sure it's already been written about uh, the intersection of, of modern technology with Islamic practice. Yeah, very, very much so. Because even the direction that we pray in um, is determined by a compass because we pray in the direction of the yeah, Kaaba, right. right, in Mecca. And like most Muslim pro apps will have a compass in, in them exactly. that tells you what direction to, pay, to pray in. So you have to calculate it yourself. I find that endlessly interesting. And then also the same app, uh, like the whole Quran is there and um, it tells you when to pray, has the compass. You can make dua on the app and there's like a whole like forum there. It's just, it's fascinating. Um, wow, I feel like we could do a whole other episode on just like the intersection of technology and religion. But we're going to save that for another day. You could write a whole book. <laughs> Maybe Five somebody volumes. has. We'll have to do some Googling. Look, they probably have. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, and just one thing. Somebody asked me if it gets harder or easier during the month. And I can quite easily tell you it gets way easier. I, like the first couple of days are a little bit hard as your body adjusts. And I'm pretty hungry and pretty headachey for the first couple of days we're also lucky in australia at the moment because we're fasting during like autumn it's not that long and like in winter fasts are like 11 hours which is actually really not that long in summer it's a different story but at the moment fasts are pretty short so by the time i'm actually starving it's like 5 30 and i can eat anyway it's not really a big deal um and literally by the time it by day five day six maybe you have fully adjusted like, you don't get as hungry, you're fine, your body has figured out how to work with this amount of nutrition. Because we are still eating two meals a day and then snacking all night. Like, we're eating the exact same amount of calories, probably more, to be honest. I was going to say. Than we were eating outside of Ramadan, just at a different time. Um, and, yeah, because people worry about, like, the nutritional level. And I'm like, bro, some people have asked me, like, oh, do you get, like, really fit in Ramadan? And I'm like, no, I always, like, in fact, I'm worse off health-wise yeah. because I've eaten, like, 18 samosas today. I was going to say, it's, like, <laughs> the amount of deep-fried <laughs> food. Yeah, I mean, I'm Pakistani. So, we're eating samosas, we're eating spring rolls. Mm. I'm eating, like, you know, all kinds of just, like, oily, yummy, greasy, like, desi food. Um, and then I'm going to the night markets and getting dessert. I'm getting, eating kanafe, I'm eating jalebi. You know, mm. it's just, like... There's no way anybody is, unless they're actually like legitimately like eating healthy food, which nobody is. <laughs> it's not, I mean, there's cause a lot of non-Muslims think, get quite interested in the weight element, the weight, which I don't actually like because I think that really reinforces eating disorders and fast, like fasting to starve yourself, which is not good. But people are like, oh my God, you must like lose so much weight, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, bruh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Well, just speaking about the food, one other thing about my experience during uh, Ramadan is that it is maybe slightly more difficult being vegan and like the night markets because there's not too many vegan options, but it's, it's actually hasn't been really an issue. Yeah. Well, I'm really good at making vegan substitutes. Exactly. For you make vegan alternatives of all the, the classic Pakistani dishes. Yeah. He doesn't miss out on too much. I figured out the way to make most things vegan. Mm. And you know what? Jalebi and samosas are vegan and the only two yeah. things you need in Ramadan. So Honestly, I'm set. <laughs> but yeah, I guess we'll end it there. I feel like, I mean, this episode was kind of all over the place, but also I'm okay with that because we were just talking today about Ramadan. So that's our first little mini-sode. If you guys have any other questions about Ramadan, feel free to ask me. I'm very happy to answer them, but I hope that covered most people's, I guess, inquiries. And also at my Muslim friends listening to this, the moment you get harassed about what's Ramadan, you can just send them this episode. It's okay. You don't have to constantly use your emotional labor and explain this to people like I always do. I'm glad this exists because I'm just going to link it to everybody now. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, well, that's on Ramadan. Cool. Well, thank you so much for listening. 
uh, before we end this, we would really like to thank our sponsors for this episode, which is you guys, our lovely, lovely listeners. Specifically, we'd like to thank Pia, Beck, Rachel, Sarah, Liz, Belle, and Katie. So thank you so much for your support. If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Saliha. If signing up isn't your thing, you can also donate to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at Saliha Official, and give me a follow if you liked today's episode. And I think it's good to mention, if we haven't, that with the Patreon, with the shorter episodes, we'll just be doing every second week, so we'll get the same one episode a week but they'll be a bit shorter so we'll just charge for every second one yes so thank you for that and i will plug my stuff now <laughs> you can follow my instagram at mitches.miscellanea for discussions around film books and music also if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion you can dm me or email us at here's a thing low podcast at gmail.com and please include your name pronouns and any other important info And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Cool. I laugh is. (laughs) Laugh is. (laughs) That means bye. Bye.